One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to These Times. I'm Tom McTague. This week we've got something a little different for you, an interview about the city where the Labour Party conference is being held this week, Liverpool. Though not with a politician or a diplomat, but with a footballer, and one Jamie Carragher, no less. Jamie is one of Liverpool's greatest players and was born and raised in the city, and still lives there now. I got in touch with Jamie a few weeks ago by email, having scrounged an address from a friend who knew him. I must admit I got in touch more in hope than expectation. Anyway, long story short, Jamie quickly got back to me and was happy to talk and suggested we meet at the Brunswick Boys Club in Bootle, where he used to play as a kid. And that's where we found him this week, all alone, waiting for us in a small back room, tucked away behind the main hall, where a ladies' bingo session was taking place. It felt a long way from the Labour Party conference. Jamie and I chatted for an hour or so about everything from Liverpool's sectarian past to Brexit and even the phenomenon of secret Tory footballers. Jamie was smart and knowledgeable and offered a warning to Keir Starmer not to take Liverpool for granted. I really hope you enjoy the interview. So when did you come to Liverpool? When did you first come to this place? It was about nine or ten. Just, I think a scout watching me for Beatle Boys and then I just got asked down to come train them. And as a Liverpool lad, is this a dream? I, I, I can't believe it. I cannot believe that was just one. Uh, uh, Go and get the trophy. Yeah. Didn't that secured your future as an after-dinner speaker after that? <laughs> I'm delighted to say we've got Jamie Carragher with us today, which is quite a departure from the normal kind of guests that we have. But we're up in Liverpool for the Labour Party conference. So I thought, who better to talk me through the history of the city, the politics of today, everything about it. We've come out to Bootle, where Jamie grew up. And in fact, there's a big mural I spotted of Jamie outside uh, the Brunswick Boys Club, where we are now. Jamie, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Tom. So let's go back, as we always do on this podcast, to the start. So you were born in 1978 in Liverpool, in Bootle, in the hospital, I guess, around the corner. Yeah. No, no, it wouldn't have been in Bootle. It would have been in, uh, I'm just trying to think where it would have been now. I'm not even quite sure what our hospital was, whether it was <laughs> Walton or exactly, but I was, I, well, basically, I was rushed away as soon as I was born to Alder Hay Hospital. Oh, yeah. Which That's is famous, the uh... famous, you know, children's hospital. In uh, in Liverpool, still got a great relationship with with the hospital today. So, even though in my mind I was 
I probably wasn't born in Alder. I always yeah. think Alder Hay was my hospital, if you like, yeah. as a child. But Spiritual I, home. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was the case with me. So as, as a youngster, when my mum was pregnant with me, she'd already had a couple of miscarriages and uh, they knew there was something wasn't quite right, but they mm-hmm. couldn't put the finger on it. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, the few months uh, leading up where, to when I was born, and uh, I think they thought initially I had spina bifida, and my mum was very, uh, very holy. Still is. Still goes to you know church. Yeah. You know, she relig- religiously went to church. Pardon the pun. Yeah. Uh, still goes to church. You know, to mass now every Sunday. But the uh, thing was, well, okay, if you know, I wouldn't terminate. You know, the pregnancy. If I have, if I have a child who's got spina bifida. You know, that's what God, you know, was sort yeah. of said is my, uh, how my child will be. That That's fine. But when, when I when I uh, was born, I had a gastroscitis. Yeah. So hence why I was I was rushed to hold a hospital straight away as soon as I was born. Yeah. And that's where you, your stomach is essentially outside of your... Yeah, so the, the, yeah, my stomach's on the outside rather than the inside. That's extraordinary. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not still like that. <laughs> <laughs> but you've still got the scar, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, hence why I've still got the relationship with the hospital. So there's a there's a ward that we we helped fund through my my charity when the new hospital was getting built. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, obviously people in Liverpool who, who'd been involved in the hospital who'd gone on to do okay. We, we all tried to let's say chip in. It was obviously a massive amount of money, but obviously everyone was trying to do as much as they possibly could to make sure the hospital had exactly the, you know the equipment that they wanted, mm-hmm. you know, state of the art. Because it is something I think that we're all proud of. In the city, older hey, it's fantastic. I think most people in the city have got some sort of link with it, or they know somebody who's, who's actually, you know, been uh, taken into older hey at some stage. Yeah, yeah. In my own family, up in the northwest, they've been using it, and they 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 couldn't speak more highly of it. I mean, you speak very movingly in your autobiography, uh, Cara, about this and about how your mom, you know, if it wasn't for her religion, as you as, as you, you see it. She would have taken. She she might have taken that early advice and said to terminate. And I hadn't realised that your mom comes from sort of Maltese mm. stock. Uh, that's where her Catholicism comes from. No, no, my my uh, my, my grandfather was uh, was from Malta. Yeah, so he used to go away to see a lot when my mum was younger. I always remember him being around. But when me obviously my mum was younger and she got lots of brothers and sisters as. I think most people certainly feels like in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. When I, I think he, you know, most people's mums and dads feels like they've got like six or seven brothers and sisters. You know, families just seem to go on and on. It's completely different uh, now. So uh, you know, their father uh, Paul used to you know go away for long times to see and be away for sort of weeks and months and come back with all kinds of bits and bobs for them in the house. So so yeah, that was uh, so we've. I've had the I've had the call in the past. Could I uh, play for Malta before have I got you? the England call? Yeah, I've had I've had that. I, I could have uh, played for Malta, but uh, but no. Thankfully, uh, the call came from the FA. Uh, yeah, there's a whole mad history of Malta where I think they applied to join the UK officially, and uh, we were too tight. The Treasury turned them down. Uh, <laughs> so, which kind of says something about Britain, I think. Because I always assumed when I, when I started reading the book and and, and you talked about your mum's Catholicism, I just assumed Carragher. Of course, Irish background. You, you know, it could have been your grandparents who who had come over from Ireland, or your parents. So tell us about that side of the family. That must be your dad's side, then. Yeah, that, that's that's my dad's side. Uh, and I was I was probably about ten or eleven years of age when my uh, my grandparents on my dad's side both both passed away. I was very young, and, and mm-hmm. 
I always, I, they weren't too old, but they, they looked old. I always mm-hmm. think, you know, people in, in the past, you remember your nan and granddad, and you think probably maybe they passed away in probably the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. It doesn't, if at the time it felt old, but now in this day and age, it, it doesn't really. Uh, but they always looked like nan and granddads, if you like, yeah. the whole time. I can uh, remember that. And they, they were they were big characters. I, I can still picture them now, uh, you know, enjoying themselves. And, and sadly, me, me nan passed away first, and my granddad didn't last much longer. Really, I think it was probably it was probably less than twelve months. Were they Irish or were they? Uh, no, no, no. So they I were mean, born in Bootle or lived in Bootle. Yeah, me, me nan. Yeah, they. I think where we are now, probably the other end of Bootle, probably more going up to sort of maybe just on the border of Bootle and Kirkdale, where probably Bank Hall is station. I think that's where they grew up. Uh, my granddad, I think, came over. Mm-hmm. So, I think I'm not sure if he was initially born. In Ireland, if I'm totally honest, and they came over as a family, and that's where the Carrigan name. Yeah, come. that's where that's where the name comes from. Yeah, and there was lots of them, you know, brothers and and I said sisters. So as I said, the families were huge then. And uh, well, and when you think about close in the community, sort of where we are now, Bootle, where, where we are now, so we're on Marsh Lane. If you go to the end of this road mm-hmm. where it stops and you get to the dock road, you've got to go left or right. So my nan on my uh, mother's side, they they just had the biggest house on the estate there. The estate's not there now, but it was just, that was there. And then basically the last street you'd turn left at before you got to the end of that road, that's where me, me nanny Cara lived. So we used to call them your nanny cellar or your nanny Cara. Uh, so they would just basically live right on top of each other. And that's just the way it sort of was. Felt round here, everyone's nan and granddad lived a few streets away from where, you know, the kids were and all the grandkids were. So everyone was just always in and out of each other's house. Was it sectarian growing up in Liverpool at the time? You know, did you know that you were a Catholic kid and there were Protestant kids and you were, there was a kind of divide? Not really. It was all to do with school rather than sort of knowing some, that was, it was basically, you knew by what school you went to. I didn't really know anyone. So the, the, the local school over the road is St. James. It's called All Saints now, but, the two schools really in the heart of Bootle in this area were St. Jones, which was just a, you know, a few hundred yards down that way, and St. James, which is over the road here, where most of the kids around here or who came to the Brunny. We went to St. James, and there was another school at the back of it called Thomas Gray, and that was a Protestant school. But I didn't really know anyone from that school. You didn't really mix. And it, it wasn't because they were Protestants. It wasn't that. It was just that they weren't in your school. And did they come here? A few, but no, I didn't ever... I don't, I, I can't remember anyone in my age group, really. But I don't think it wasn't to do with anything sectarian. Yeah. Wasn't it? it wasn't that. It was just that, like, they weren't in our school, so you didn't know them yeah. really that much. And to be honest, this area is really is really Catholic. In the, that, this bit of this bit of Bootle or the whole yeah, of I think. But I think Liverpool is a city. Yeah, really, I think there's a really a real stronghold of uh, you know Catholic and churches and people, and maybe that does come from from people coming over from Ireland. Uh, so I think probably the Catholic schools would really outnumber Protestant schools. I would imagine that. It, it always felt like every school was Saint something. Yeah, yeah. You know, really. So there wasn't too many Protestant schools I can remember. And that's the only one. It was just that it was over the road there at Thomas Gray. I can't really remember. But you'd say like Gerard or something would be a strong Protestant name. But I think he went to a Catholic school because, again, it wasn't seen as a big deal. You just go... Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think it was. Uh, I remember it. I always remember one time in... I always remember this story that when we were in 
the fourth year junior, which is the, the last year. I know it's different now. Uh, they call it year 10 or 11. But I remember when we were choosing what senior school we were going to. The, the, the senior school we went to was Savio or Salesian, which was the headmaster was, was a priest. Right. That's the way the school was. The headmaster yeah. was always a priest. And I remember one lad, and the president's school for the seniors was called Hillside. And I remember a lad saying he was going to Hillside to the teachers, and they couldn't believe it. <laughs> they were like, like they, I remember not, not, they weren't shouting at him. And he was only 11, and probably his, his mother or father decided where he was going. I don't know, but it was like they, they were aghast. They couldn't believe he was going from sort of St. James's to Hillside. Yeah, yeah. Really, because, I mean, we used to go, I mean, the church was over the road, St. James's Church used to probably go there once a week, you know. So it, it was a, a big part of your life as a youngster growing up, you know, going to church, Holy Communion, things like that. But the the, the interesting thing I, I find about Liverpool politically is it hasn't become like Belfast or Glasgow where you've got this clear sectarian divide, you know, in Belfast, obviously peace walls and, uh, you know, and, and violence and all that. But Glasgow is pretty, pretty sectarian as well. Whereas you come to Liverpool and that's not the case, even though you have all of the same ingredients for mm-hmm. that, you've got Irish immigration, you've got Irish names and Irish schools and Catholic churches. And you also did have sectarianism. So, you know, when, when my granddad brought up in uh, Scotland Road area, that was at the time an Irish slum and had an Irish uh, nationalist MP, the only one ever elected mm-hmm. in Britain. So like Liverpool has been sort of unique all the way back in, uh, into that time. And so, it, so there, and there were Orange Order marches and sectarian well, I riots. That. I remember that as a kid, the Orange Lodge. Was it near here? Yeah. Yeah, so at the top of the road, they used to walk along Stanley Road. So you go to the end of Marsh Lane, the big road that would sort of go through, that basically goes through almost to Scotland Road, basically. Yeah. Stanley Road stops and, and Scotland Road continues. So it's, it's almost like a, a major road that goes through a lot of the North Liverpool Stanley Road. So I always remember them, those marches. What did they feel yeah. like as a, as a To be kid? honest, we were only kids and you just go because you know, there's a band playing and, and stuff like that. But I think when my, I always remember my dad telling me when he was a kid, yeah, there was a bit of trouble around them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and and then for his dad, it would yeah, have been probably even would worse. have been a lot more. But he, so when he was a kid and he was watching them, I think they were throwing things at them. Just, I think the longer time goes on, the more people, you know, dies out a little bit. That sort of strong feeling. But only here though, because if you go yeah. to Belfast or, Gla- or Glasgow, yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I watched uh, one of the best pieces of television I think I've ever seen. I watched probably two months ago. It was on the BBC iPlayer. Once upon a time in Northern Ireland, yeah. and it was five episodes an hour long. And listen, we're Catholic, yeah. you know, you're watching it, and it, there's always two sides to every story. But it was unbelievable television. But it was just unbelievable watching what they they they'd gone through, put themselves through, where the the hatred come from, and you could just feel it, you know, yeah. when they were speaking, on, and even people to this day, you know, still, you know, when you. You look like obviously the uh, I think Tony Blair. What, what was the name of that? The Good Friday Agreement. The Good Friday yeah. Agreement. Yeah, with Jerry Adams and, and people like that. And uh, you still see the feeling now when they're speaking about it and going back on the stories. It was, it was brilliant television. But you know, you just think, wow. But it feels alien to you to look at that and say, well, that's like a different place. That's that's not. I don't see Liverpool. Oh in no, that. no, no, nothing like no, nothing like that. Not no. But it was just watching it and just thinking, what you know. 
what they'd gone through and the things they did to each other and coming back at each other and you're just thinking, you know, young kids talking about their upbringing yeah. and being around that. Uh, do, do you think the football is a big part of that? Because, you know, in uh, in Belfast you have, you know, it's obviously much more heightened tension, but you have Catholic and Protestant clubs there. In Glasgow you obviously have the Catholic mm. and Protestant club. Liverpool, my understanding is that Everton is kind of seen as the Catholic club, but, you know, it plays in blue. It's never really, that's yeah. been a core part of its, I, central part of its identity. You go to Liverpool now, you see Irish tricklers flying and, you know, there's loads of Liverpool fans mm-hmm. in Ireland. So it's, it's just never taken on that. It's like football has somehow acted as a, like a detoxifying sort of agent in Liverpool. Yeah, yeah I've never felt that, you, you know, you, you chose the team. You chose the team who, your dad supported yeah. more often than not in Liverpool. It was not to do with religion. The one thing I do remember is when I first started watching Everton in, in the mid eighties, there used to be bobble hats. That was the sort of the, the what people wore a bobble hat with you know bobble on top, and Liverpool fans wore theirs, Everton fans wore theirs, and you could sometimes get a half and half one. And the Everton one would always be the other half would be Celtic, ah, uh. and the Liverpool one would be Rangers. I wouldn't say there was they were everywhere and everybody wore them, but you'd sort of see them in the stadium without really knowing what it was. So when you go back to say then maybe Everton were the seen as the Catholic club, maybe that's the only little inkling I can get and something I can remember that happened sort of in the eighties, but you wouldn't see that probably in the night you wouldn't see nothing like that today, or probably in the nineties it was something that, you know, football fans were wearing in the mid eighties. Ah, it's interesting though, because then Kenny Dalgleish comes down or something mm. from Celtic. Yeah, and yeah. Both fans are singing You'll Never Walk Alone. And there's today I would have I mean, probably me not knowing my history well enough, but I would have said there's a kind of connection between Liverpool and Celtic. Yeah, of course, 100% it is. Probably seen as like a real connection. Probably Kenny Daglish is a lot to do. And when I'm mentioning that, I don't even know if it, it probably is the, seen as the Catholic or the Protestant club. I just shut my remember Yeah. as a kid. You know, when you, you, you've got one of the hats and you see someone else in the crowd, well, why has he got the Celtic one on? And <laughs> yeah. why, you know, you're trying to work it out and you see a red and a blue one with the Liverpool Rangers. But that, that's about as far as it Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart. A better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Your book, your autobiography is really good at busting myths, I thought. So you talk about very early on how people are constantly saying, oh, you know, you grew up in uh, in poverty in, in Liverpool. And you're like, no, I didn't. I grew up in a, in a nice house, in a nice area, had a great childhood. And then you also talk about everyone like romanticizes this city that where Everton Liverpool fans got on and every, you know, Everton fans went to Liverpool games the, the week they weren't playing. And you were like, nah, that's, that's just rubbish. That, that mm. didn't happen. And you're quite cutting in the book about 
what seems to me like a new sectarianism growing that you seem a bit worried about, which is like the Everton versus Liverpool getting quite nasty, quite kind of um, brutal with each other. Mm. Um, is that still is that still the case today? Like, does it feel nasty? Yeah, I think it does. And I think we were always seen as the, the the friendly derby. I'm not ever sure it was quite that, but I think where that came about was that we, Everton and Liverpool played each other so often in the mid eighties in cup finals, and you know basically the whole of Liverpool was then descendant on London, and it was at a time when it was it was really probably the toughest it's been probably since probably today, I would say. Uh, oh, what in terms of the city? economic standards, yeah. economically. Uh, you know, people are struggling right now. I think it was like that in in sort of early 80s, mid 80s. And the one thing both sets of supporters or people in the city had to shout about was the two football teams. Yeah. Really. So I think it, there was that sort of common camaraderie of coming together, you know, seeing as going down to Wembley on the coaches together. So I think that's where a lot of that come from. And I think it also comes from the fact that, you know, the city at the time, there was a togetherness because of, you know, the situation everyone found themselves in. Yeah. And football was an outlet, really. But I do remember those days, but only as, as a child. And we went down on a coach right outside here. So we left here. And would you believe, when, when you've just walked in there, you've just seen all the old, old women playing yeah. bingo? Yeah. Well, the women, the woman organising that is a, a woman called Anne Kirby, and she just lives over the road. And I always remember, so this would have been, over th- not far of 40 years ago, she knitted all the kids' jumpers <laughs> with AFC on. And uh, we would have wore, we wore them at the time, and they'd have all, all the women would have set us off because no women would have gone to the game. No women mm. then went to the cup final. It was all the dads taking the kids, basically. Yeah. And uh, and when you talk about oh, Everton, there was only uh, one Liverpool fan on the coach. <laughs> and that was a coach at like sort of 56. And it was my dad's best mate book. I always remember that. And Brave uh, man. Yeah, very, <laughs> yeah, very brave man. But yeah, so listen, I think it, it is romanticised. I can understand why there probably is something behind it. But I, I don't think you'd probably see that today. And that does sadden me really. Because uh, I think we are seen as a, not seen as a city. We are a little bit different in lots of ways. And, you know, we, we feel like we have to, you know, fight against whether that's government, the establishment, and we can do that as a city. But there is a real split, red and blue, which I think is right, is good, you know, strong rivalry, you need that. But I don't, you know, I think sometimes it just goes a little bit too far. Yeah. Uh, maybe that maybe that's because the, you know, invention now, you know, social media and football's just in your face 24-7. That wasn't like that when I was a kid. Yeah, it's, it's like football was somehow something that could bring the city together previously in a way that didn't happen in in Belfast and Glasgow, but now is kind of wrenching it apart. Yeah, and I listen, I'm, one of the facts, I, you know, it's easy to be on or feel better about your team if they're doing okay. And Everton haven't done, done well for a long time now. You know, the club has been mismanaged for a very long time and it is tough for the supporters because I've got a lot of family members who are season ticket holders, then my father-in-law is, mm. uh, brother-in-law as well. So, you know, I, I know exactly what's going on in Everton. And it, it has been a nightmare for a long time for them and they deserve a lot more, a lot better. But, you know, that's, you know, football stays the emotions in this city and that will will never change. And I don't think that particularly helps probably relationships as well. I mean, you've got one team doing really well yeah. and one team finding it tough. Yeah, sort of doing badly kind of puts your backs against the wall, but then it, you know, it can be divisive at the same time. I, I was struck by the way you spoke about Everton in the book 
reminded me of how I think Liverpool people from Liverpool in general feel that the way the rest of the country talks about them, like you've got a grievance, you get upset by everything too soon. And that, and, and Simon Hughes, the journalist from The Athletic, writes about the history of Liverpool and he sort of traces back this kind of identity, the way we think about Liverpool today um, as a, you know, a labour city uh, united with a sort of common uh, identity back to the 80s in the in this period when you're growing up where you're saying it's tough economically there's a kind of opposition to Thatcher you've got militant uh, taking over the city you've got uh, you know stadium disasters and and the uh, the appalling response from government all of that comes together to to create this uh Liverpool identity mm. could you feel that as a kid or or is that just something that's going on the way no i just think people from liverpool whether that comes from Going back a long time ago, obviously, I, I, you know, how far you go back, I don't know, but I've always just felt Liverpool people have got something about them in like a, a personality, a character. You very rarely see a shy one. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I'm being totally honest. And when people from outside, you know, the city say, oh, they've, they're always complaining or they're, they're never happy with this or that, we, I think we look at it a different way and say, because we stand up for ourselves, we don't accept what the government is saying about a certain thing and they've mm. proven right, obviously on the back of what happened with, with Hillsborough, sort of mm. 30, 25, 30 years later. And I admire that in the city and that we we don't, uh, you know, allow people to just walk all over us. And maybe that gets other people's backs up around other parts of the country. But I actually, I actually love it about the city. You know, mm. it's got that real backbone and it'll fight and it'll take on people. And you, and you don't want to take on people from Liverpool. <laughs> you know, I can assure you of that. Yeah. There's something new that seems to be happening. And I'd love to know what you what you think about it. Because I, 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 I notice that, say, people with, like yourself with an Irish name or, or Rooney with a very Irish name, you know, you're proudly English and you'll, you know, you want to play for England. You'll wear, you know, you'll wear, uh, wear the England uh, Jersey, you know, with pride and all of that. And yet I sense like there's a certain kind of anti-Englishness like mm -hmm. starting to bubble up, a sense that are we English? Are we a bit different? Is that how, I mean, how real is that? I don't, I don't think it's, it's just that. And I think that's always been in the background, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, I don't think, I wouldn't say I'm anti, I'm not anti-English. You know, and of course you wouldn't turn down the opportunity to play for your country. But I would never choose my country over my city. That wouldn't even be, it wouldn't even be a question. It wouldn't even be a debate. Like uh, That's just obvious to me. Mm -hmm. uh, whether other people in, in, you know, whether you're from the Midlands, the Northeast, down South, I don't know. Uh, but I, if someone said to me where I was, you know, if I went abroad and someone asked me where I'm from, I wouldn't say I was from England. <laughs> say from Liverpool. Well, that comes from, you know, we have this thing against the establishment, you know, governments feel like, you know, we've been uh, downtrodden on. But I'm sure there's other places, you know, in the country who feel the same or have had certain those situations themselves. Maybe in the 80s, you know, you've got a real north-south divide mm. in this country. There's no doubt about that. But when you say that's just bubbling, I, I, no, I don't think it's bubbling. I think it's been there for a long time. Do you think it's more acute now than it used to be? Or is it or, or is it worse in the 80s? Well, it... No, listen, I was a kid in the 80s. I, I remember, you know, Thatcher, if you like, towards the end of her time, I was getting a little bit old and you're hearing your mum and dad in the house and 
you know, she had Neil Kinnock, but it was Arthur Scargill, wasn't it? In the minors in the mm. mid 80s. And I remember my dad talking about things like that. We had Derek Hatton in Liverpool. So we were always felt like it was a, it was a fight against someone, uh, really. I think it probably feels bigger now just because so, social media has a major part in, in magnifying things or making things grow, I would imagine, because you hear everyone's voice now in the past, you know. People will be having those conversations in the back kitchen, wouldn't they? You know, two parents and I'm listening in, you know, maybe something like that. But now it feels like it's so much bigger and stronger because of probably social media and everyone can give their views. But you're you're being brought up in this time where the Liverpool identity that it's a Labour city is being born, you know, because it, that wasn't the case, you know, in this world that you, your granddad came into over from Ireland, that world you had... Liverpool is a Tory city mm. and they were the, you know, the Protestants would vote Tory and the Catholics would vote Labour or Irish Nationalist and then Labour in later years. And it's it's turned into a city where being kind of anti-Tory is part of the identity. And I think that forms around in the 80s. So is that, are they your earliest memories of politics, like in the background, listening to your dad or listening to your mum? Yeah, I mean, it was it was basically very simplistic. For me, when I was growing up, it was very, you know, the Conservative Party or the Tories are for the rich. Yeah. And Labour look after the working classes. You know, that was big. And to be honest, I'm not, I'm, I know I'm on this podcast, but I'm no great sort of massive understanding of every, you know, uh, thing in politics. But that is that is almost my simplistic view, even though <laughs> I'd be classed as rich now, obviously, you know, for obvious reasons with, with the football and stuff. But, but no, I, I, I do... That's where a lot of it comes in. And that's where I think a lot of people from around here think. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't think people people around here are just trying to make ends meet, making sure there's food on the table. I don't think they're sort of watching Question Time, you know, <laughs> yeah. and finding out, like, you know, what are the policies of both uh, political parties and things like that, really. It's, it's that view of we're going to get more help from Labour if Labour get in. You know, and that's what we need. It'd be difficult for you, wouldn't it, if you were if you were a Tory, like Joe. Every in the whispers around Liverpool with James Carragher, he's a Tory. Yeah, you know that would that would go against your sort of. Oh God, no! I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure there could be anything worse than being a Tory. I think, I think for me, if if people, I think people round here would rather I'd play for Man United. <laughs> I'm serious. Then, then you voted for them? No, you couldn't. Eh? No, I'd never do that. <laughs> And and do you think that's the kind of so that's the social pressure, or is it is it like something that you believe in, or is it the there's the kind of just the environment like that's just who you well, are? Well, listen, I've I grew up in an environment, and I think you you whether you, you know your influences, your parents, you know the area you grow up in, those values. I'm, I've not grew up in a, in a place where probably anyone votes conservative, and maybe could give me their views of why they do. I've, I, I watch the news and watch different things, but. I just think there's a big thing in Liverpool, and I've always felt it. And there was always criticism I felt as a kid, especially in the 80s, because there was a big thing against Margaret Thatcher. Mm -hmm. And there's still that feeling today as if, when, when you're talking about the city maybe being a conservative city, maybe that is that sort of the 60s or the 70s, is it? Yeah, it was pre-Thatcher. Yeah, so what I'm saying is it feels like Margaret Thatcher is a real bone of contention in, in the city, but it's like it still gets talked about today. And I just think that at that time in the 80s there was a lot of people in Liverpool who'd done well I'm going to say a lot of people celebrities if you like yeah and it was almost this thing they left London, uh, Liverpool they went to London and I think a lot of them backed sort of the Conservative Party and Margaret Thatcher I'm thinking Ken, Ken Dodd 
and um, Silla Black. Silla Black, Jimmy Tarbuck, these type of people. And they were always, I think there was always a, a big resentment for them. And I, and I think rightly so, a little bit from people in Liverpool, because I think there's always this thing. I think people in Liverpool love to see their own do well, as anywhere does. But I think you've always got to remember where you're from. And almost, it's almost okay, you know, we're happy for you. We're made up, go and have, you know, be successful, whether that's London, whatever it is. But don't forget where you come from. Yeah. And, you know, look after us a little bit type of thing. We'll look after you and we'll champion you and we'll push you and we'll always defend you. But make sure you do a little bit for us and defend us. And I always remember that growing up, that they were seen as a little bit like, what was the word they were called? Professional scousers. <laughs> they used it when they wanted, yeah. you know, to help them. I was scouser, you know, but didn't fully... Uh, embody what a, probably a, a scouser was. So for me, that would never, I, I'd always think, well, I've done all right. The people you grew up, the environment you grew up with, you've got to try and help people. And if, if helping people means that a Labour government's in, which means people in my position pay maybe more tax. And again, it's, I'm being very simplistic. Mm. I know there's a lot more to it than that. And that helps, you know, a young mother who's trying to bring two kids up, you know, having to use a food bank or something like that. Mm. Uh, I think that's what you should do. And I think people in my position, certainly definitely from this city, uh, should never figure out where they come from. But I know there's certainly people in the past who, you know, have played for sort of Liverpool or Everton who've done particularly well for themselves. And Who's that? I'm not naming names, but I know there's people who don't particularly... Uh, what, the secret Tory footballers out yeah, there, is that? Yeah, I think there's a few of them. <laughs> I'd love to know who these are. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so because you intervened in, in you say you're not uh, too involved in politics, but you backed Andy Burnham for the leadership. Obviously, Andy Burnham's from from the Northwest, Evertonian fan, who, who came to Liverpool in a very tough gig to come and talk about Hillsborough. And I think he... It was like a pivotal moment for him. Is that how you got to know him? Yeah, I think it was on the back of that. Uh, he's a big, he's a big Everton fan, so he's, he, you know, he, he gets sort of the football in, in the city as well. I'm not sure ex- initially when the, the first sort of connection came, but I think it was actually before he gave that speech, sort of a famous speech at Anfield on the uh, memorial of, of, of Hillsborough. I think it was 2009. I think it was, and, and we we went and had a, it was a meal afterwards, something at the town hall. I think with Steve Rotherham, who's got a great connection with, who, who does a, who does it, the job he does in Manchester, yeah, in Liverpool, I think it's the Metro Mayor, and uh, but yeah, I mean at, at the time, yeah, I'd, I'd like to to see him get the uh, you know the leadership of the Labour Party, and I'm aware, and, and the reason I say I'm not too fully into politics, because I'm a little bit wary of getting too involved in something that's not my area of expertise. Gavin Hill's not sure. Well, listen, he, he, he's gone full in and he's getting involved in it and he's, 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 he's working with, with local MPs and he's probably getting you know more information, knows a bit more that's going on. Uh, I'd, I like to lend my support to, well, that's the Labour Party or on initiatives where you feel you can help people. And it's not just about Labour and Tory. Sometimes you might need the Conservative government, which we have done in terms of getting certain things passed and I can use my voice my presence because of who I may be social media in terms of pushing certain things through parliament we've certainly done that with the help of uh, people on the other team if you like but they're sort of getting behind a cause rather than getting fully into bed with with a political party and being front and center I obviously would never be shy in in always saying I would always vote Labour and I would, you know, love them to be, you know, in charge when the next general election comes but I am a little bit wary of getting into something that I don't know fully everything yeah. about and you're getting into debates or arguments because I do like them <laughs> but on football uh, yeah so that that's the reason why I don't 
fully get involved because as I said, it's not my life every day, day in, day out, knowing exactly what's going on. Yeah, but I mean, you don't need to. The less you know about politics, the more informed the your opinion is. Because yeah. you just you you feel you you're not trying to um, push it all through a kind of prism that somebody else is. You know, articles written by me or somebody else saying this is what you yeah, need to yeah. think about this or this is what you you could just see it. You know it. You either know that the city is doing well or it's doing badly. It's it's poorer than it used to be or it's richer than it used to be. Yeah. I mean, it seems that you think that the city is currently in a worse state than, than it's been for a while. Yeah, just, I mean, we're involved through here in the Bruny and, uh, you know, we help out here. And, there's, I mean, you know, how many, how many food banks there are now just mm. around this area? And, you know, we try and help with different things. Obviously, you've got the homeless situation as well now. How many people are on the streets and, and, and stuff like that. And it does, it does feel like it's never been... I can't remember it as probably as bad as... It probably is yeah. right now on the back of Tory government, COVID, uh, you know, the kids not being in school. So we had a thing here called Holiday Hunger. So we funded that with our charity. And that was basically, you know, mum and dad wake up, they give the the kid, you know, the, the children breakfast and then they're off to school. And they don't have to basically worry about them yeah. really. And also provide another meal for lunchtime. Mm-hmm. Really, and that was a big thing for them having to think. Oh, it's not just uh, the evening meal now. It's yeah. like I've got to think of lunch. It's like and just those. Little, so we created something here, and I think it's something that we carried on into the holidays. Holiday hunger that shows that they can actually provide three meals a day for the kids. Yeah, really. So that was a big problem for people in COVID. Yeah. So around here, and listen, in lots of places around this country, it's not just a Liverpool thing, of course. And and I think that's why people come disenfranchised. I think with the government right now, they've been in a long time, and we're still sort of seeing these problems on the. A lot of working class cities. It does feel very different. If you go into Liverpool city centre, it feels like wealthy, buzzing, you know, like a proper European city, mm-hmm. great night out, all of that. And then you come out here and it definitely feels poorer. I mean, it, I, I think it feels similar, especially with your mural out the front, it feels like Belfast yeah. without the peace walls. Um, I mean, do you think there's a kind of the problem with, say, Liverpool, confer- a Labour Party holding the conference in Liverpool is, you know, you get. Bus loads of people coming up or train loads of people like me. They arrive in the city, they get a black cab down to the conference event and they go, Liverpool's doing great, isn't mm-hmm. it? And actually it's a bit of a facade. It's the same with Manchester. We were out there last week and you get the tram out two or three stops. It feels very different. Mm-hmm. Same in the Northeast. You know, you don't have to go far. Is It feels like there's a kind of shininess to the centre, but it's not actually, the economy's not real. Yeah, listen, I think you could probably say that about a lot of places. Obviously, a lot of the money goes into the city centre. Probably one of the reasons why it's not just for the people from the city, it's for tourists. Where they, there's so much work being done in Liverpool, and it's fantastic, certainly around the, the train station, I feel, where you, know, you come out to Lime Street and there's everything's late, and it's for tourists coming out or people getting off the train and that first thing they see of Liverpool, St George's all, all the roads have, have been changed there. There's almost pedestrianised, really, and it's all for a lot for that which I, I totally get and I totally understand. But I think I, I think there's always been that little bit of a feeling in Liverpool as well. There's not just a north-south divide in the country. It's probably in the city as well. So when right. you almost come north from the city centre, you're going through sort of where we are now. You've got Bootle, you've got Kirkdale, you've got Walton. Hmm. You know, and there's still, obviously, places that are finding it tough in the south end of Liverpool. I, th- I think the areas I've just mentioned do find it really tough and are always looking for sort of help and and a big problem one of the places I mentioned there you think of the stadiums what, what the football clubs do for those areas the north end I mean what Anfield does for the area of Anfield is massive 
you know, Liverpool being there. And it's Everton do need to move stadium and it's going to be absolutely magnificent, that stadium on the almost in the city centre, really just on the edge, on the docks. But you worry about the impact that's going to have on Walton. Yeah. You know, the pubs around there, you know, the cafes before the game, all the supporters and that, that's going to have a real big impact on County Road and, and the Walton area. Yeah. And and the one thing, another thing I've picked up um, is Liverpool has always had a council that's been opposed to the government. And it goes back to this thing of <laughs> being kind of, we're a bit different. We're kind of against the establishment. Now you've got this prospect of this Labour government coming in, Keir Starmer being prime minister. But already I get the sense in Liverpool that Keir Starmer is not particularly well liked here, that he's seen as having promised things not to not appear in the sun and then has gone back on it. He's seen as sort of too cynical. It sounds like a, a bit of a warning. I wouldn't take Liverpool for granted if you were Labour. No, I think it might be the other. Liverpool, Liverpool will always be Labour. I don't think that'll ever change, but it'll never be Tory. That'll just will never ever happen. I don't. I don't see a time when it would ever not be Labour. If I'm being totally honest, I'm. I think probably Labour know that, but listen, I'm pleased the Labour conference is in Liverpool. I think it's it's good for the city. I, I was with a, I was at a a Q and A with a Wes Streeton a few nights ago, and he was talking about maybe that I think there was a a plan that maybe it might be locked in for the next sort of two or three years that the, the Labour conference comes to Liverpool. And I was pleased about that. Yeah. I understand where you're coming from with Keir Starmer in terms of that that the situation is not so much his policies as a Labour leader. I think it's a lot of it is to do with the sun. Right. Uh, really. And I almost get both sides of the argument in some ways in that if he's, he should never have said I won't speak to someone and then do it because once you've done that, you know, if you give your way to people in Liverpool and you don't deliver, you're always going to have a problem, whether that was speaking to the someone, which is obviously a big no in this city. Uh, from his point of view, in terms of being a Labour leader, I can understand him saying, okay, I want to try and get out there. You need the press on side. But once you've said that, you know, you shouldn't have done that. Uh, so I think that's a problem. In terms of his policies, Liverpool is, is a Labour city and, and you're probably real, probably left-wing. Really, uh, I understand the problem that any Labour leader would have in that being really left-wing is not going to get you into power. And I know there's always that feeling in right now with Keir Starmer and probably was with Tony Blair as well and that they're, they're almost a Tory, if you like, because it's centre-left. It's not left, it's centre-left, mm. really. But then I would say, well, what would you rather have? Would you rather have Labour in at centre-left rather than a Tory government? Because... I think it's been proven, certainly with Jeremy Corbyn, that being real left-wingers, I think there's very little chance that you're ever going to get into government and all you become then is a protest party, really. Uh, and yet you can protest, you can fight, and you can almost be disappointed in Labour that they're not doing everything that you feel they should be doing to be really left-wing, but it's still better than what the alternative is. Better to win. Better to win and have the chance to actually implement policies that will help people in these areas rather than being a protest party and just fighting against the Tories. That sounds like Jamie Carragher, the Blairite, the uh, the centrist dad who says, you know, look, be sensible. Yeah, well, listen, I that's the only time I can remember Labour being in. I, I am. I, I I know Tony Blair now with what happened with the, uh, the Iraq war. That's always going to be a stain against him. But I think he was a great leader, wasn't he? I mean, he just had it, didn't he? You know, just... When you saw him in the dispatch box, you know, Labour winning three general elections in a row 
it's just like, you know, that just doesn't happen because Labour very rarely win and it, they're in a great position to win now. So I can understand, you know, have your, your views of that, but I'd still rather a Labour government be in hmm. than a Tory government, even if it's not as left-wing as, you know, maybe people in, in the city would like. It's still better than the alternative. You think the problem then with, with Starmer is is it's not necessarily the policies, it's the kind of cynicism to sort of to so obviously say one thing and then do the other. Because that's yeah, outside yeah, of Liverpool, yeah. that's the criticism as well. Yeah. You know, from the left, he promised all this and he didn't deliver it. Yeah. Uh, and, and do you think I don't be- believe any, any, if I'm being honest, I mean, uh, do you believe things politicians say? I mean, I love it when the, the budget comes out and things, and they'll say, in three years, we're going to do this. And three, and then the three years, come on, I'm thinking, did this, any of this even happen? Did, <laughs> you know, I'm, I hear people say these statements. I don't know, I'm not sure how often it happens. People forget, in the, or, you know, some forget, some don't say, you said this, you said that. That's in the manifesto. I just think half it's a load of bollocks, if I'm being totally honest, what they say. I take it with a pinch of salt wherever we promise something by a politician, if I'm being totally honest. So you don't feel let down by Starmie? You just feel like, well, that's what that's kind of what they have to do? A little bit. I think probably people in the city, myself, feel a little bit let down over the sun situation because it's such a, it's such a burning issue in the... In the city now, I think most people would have preferred, preferred if they said, "Well, listen." At the start, what he's saying now, hmm. where you actually say, "Listen, I understand the feeling," because I think he was actually involved in, obviously, because he, he was a barrister, was he, or a judge, a, a chief prosecutor? Yeah, yeah. So I think he, he he was involved in something with the government and and Hillsborough. But I think people would have preferred if they just said, "Well, listen, if I'm the Labour leader, I will need certain sections of the media on my side to try and get over the line." Now, whether that's true or not. I don't know, but I think people in the city would prefer him to have been honest mm-hmm. at the start rather than to go back on his way because that's a big no-no in the city, especially around something as you know hot as speaking to the sun. What, how has Liverpool dealt with the Tory conference the the other week, where they you know they reversed on HS two coming up to the north? Is that like a oh that's for Manchester? That's like you know, or is or yeah, is it? If I'm being totally honest, I mean I, I, I don't think it's something that. Anyone on the streets are talking about him being totally honest, or you know, really. I think it was always seen as it was going to Manchester, and we were getting a little bit of it or something. I don't even know if it was coming to Liverpool. I'm being totally honest that much about it. Really, it always felt like a thing to sort of Manchester and maybe onto Leeds. It felt when I was looking at things, but so I don't know how much we'll be infected. Uh, affected, but again, it just goes back to that North South divide, and and this thing about not, you know, as I said, I'm not massively involved, but it was such a big topic. The HS2 mm. is that. When they're saying they can't afford to finish it, I'm just not having that at all. And I know that I'm not daft. I know mm. the costs have spiralled and they always do on things like that. But they had to find a way because there's no way in the world that wouldn't have got finished if it was going from north to south. It's just no chance. If that had started, whether it was in Newcastle, Glasgow or Leeds, yeah. and it was going the other way, that had to be finished. Absolutely no doubt about that. And that's what comes back to that North South divide. And there was talk about this North North Northern Powerhouse and all this old nonsense. <laughs> yeah, well, there's talk about the Northern Powerhouse, which is kind of connecting Liverpool through Manchester to Leeds and across to Hull on up to Newcastle. It's not HS2, is it? No, no, no. <laughs> but there's, a, there's another idea, which is the Osborne idea, which is basically you need to create a mega city in the Northwest. Like it's too many cities up here. You know, if you go to the US, they'll have. The New York conurbation will be will be massive. It will be bigger than just New York. So what you need is Manchester at the centre, connected up to Liverpool and, and Leeds. But 
I sometimes think, I wonder if people in Liverpool would be okay with being thought of as kind of suburb of Manchester. <laughs> no, no. No, Liverpool's only playing second fiddle to anyone. Certainly not Manchester. Yeah, I, I sometimes wonder whether in Liverpool it's felt differently. There's kind of two divides. There's the divide within the North, Liverpool versus the rest. In Manchester, there's kind of London of the North. It gets all the special favours. And then there's the north-south divide generally. And, you know, for your work, you probably have to go down to London all the time or to all these clubs in the south. Uh, that um, When you were growing up, the north would have been dominant in football. And now you've got all these small teams, not to offend any supporters, but Brentford and Brighton and Bournemouth and all these clubs. Is that a reflection, you think, of just the state of the economy generally? I, I think it's... So. Maybe, but I think teams in the Premier League have got money, no matter where you're at in the country. I just think, you know, if you're a foreign player coming over, you know, and all these teams kind of, you know, it's not like one team's bigger than the other too much in the Premier League. Because even the teams at the bottom are getting 100 million, so they can all afford massive wages. Mm, yeah. You know, so if you're going to play for a Brighton or a Bournemouth now, and you're a foreign player, you can earn massive money. And you're also not far from London. You know, London. You know, whatever I was saying about this North Side divide, I go to London quite a lot. And it's one of the best cities in the world. I do. I, I think it's, it could even be number one, but it's not, or certainly not far away. Yeah. So I think that plays a part in terms of, you know, people wanting to be sort of closer down the South. Maybe it's easier to get back home then flight-wise and, and everything sort of, you know, down there in terms of a city uh, like London. Because you think of some of the clubs in the North I grew up going to, Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, what a giant of a football club. You couldn't tell me. Bournemouth, Bournemouth and Brighton are bigger football clubs than Sheffield Wednesday in terms of probably support, size of the stadium, mm. history. But the way the Premier League's gone now and the influx of foreign players means it's it's probably a lot tougher now for you know those uh, teams to attract foreign players than sort of the teams that you mentioned in down south. Who for me is not as big a club. Yeah, can I just uh, deal with two two final things? Because the way you were talking about Liverpool and um, sense of being outsider status and challenging the status quo, just got me thinking about another piece that Simon Hughes did actually on on conspiracy theories here. But it also made me think about Brexit. So on, on these two questions, like on Brexit, is there a sense in Liverpool that's a Tory project and therefore I'm yeah. against it? Because in, in a weird way, going back to the 80s, there was, Liverpool was a great port for the whole world. Exactly. Yeah. And then, then with the trade diverting to Europe, the ports became Felixstowe and Dover down in the south. And yet I don't get the sense of like anti-European sentiment, like a sort of rage against the way that that was shifted. How, how does it feel here at the moment? I mean, I, probably the way people feel in this city who are older than me, my mum and dad feel about maybe the Tory government of the 80s. I feel like that about Brexit. That is the one thing that has really wound me up. Uh, it's a disaster. And this city was probably one of the strongest in voting to stay in Europe because mm -hmm. we realise what Europe's done for this city. Not not governments, not Tory governments, especially. You know, you know, go, we, we go back in this city, we bring it up quite a lot, but you go back to the 80s and I think Margaret Thatcher's right-hand man was talking about managed decline within mm -hmm. the city. Yeah, but hasn't that happened in a way? I mean, but it, it's unbelievable when you actually look at that managed decline. Mm -hmm. So we realise what, you know, European funds and EU money did for this city. It wasn't money from our own government. Uh, we've naturally sort of feel like we've got that connection because I think maybe where we are in terms of on the water, mm -hmm. we feel a maybe a little bit European, maybe Liverpool's trips and the success we've had in Europe, we feel like, 
almost that's our competition, uh, really. But Brexit and Boris Johnson, he was just, I mean, he's one of the biggest clowns. I mean, got to be. I know he gets votes. He's a vote winner, if you like, but it's unbelievable that he was the prime minister. And I just looked, I didn't, I didn't need him convincing too much either way. But when you see Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage fronting the Leave campaign, and it was just, oh, it was awful. Uh, I think it's really, really bad. And I think the impact is going to have on younger people in terms of traveling abroad and work and almost being disconnected from, from Europe and, and the EU now. And what makes me laugh is, you, you see these cues, you see it on the front page of the Daily Mail. You were, all these papers were massively championing, you know, Brexit. Oh, what, look what the French are doing to us in these big queues when everyone wants to go away for Easter or the summer holidays and they're checking all the past. What do you think they were going to do? What did you think they were going to do? I think just going to go, oh, yeah, come on, keep going, all come, all come through. They're going to make it as difficult as possible because it's, you know, we've left their little gang that they're in. And, uh, yeah. And I, and I think there is a massive vote in terms of staying uh, in the EU, in this city. It was huge because I think a lot of it is, again, probably against the establishment, against a Boris Johnson, a Tory government, as it was seen as their, their big sort of But I guess idea. outside of Liverpool, being anti-establishment, voting against the, the EU, as you know, they would say, oh, the status quo is we're poor, or we've got poorer than what I remember we were. And... That has coincided, so the argument runs, with being in the EU. And you could say the same about Liverpool. We used to have a, a, a port that went to the rest of the world, and then we joined Europe and all our trade went south, mm-hmm. because the south is closer. To, so the EU hasn't been good for us. But it's strange that wasn't a re, more of a reaction in Liverpool. No, no. And, and I go back to sort of, I, I think EU money changed the face of Liverpool in terms of the city centre. Certainly the Albert Dock played a huge role in that. That was just rotten away in the 80s and, and you look at that now it's something that we're really proud of in the city and yeah I don't uh, no there isn't that feeling that you know people down south whether it's you know you think of the cruise ships going into Southampton now we've got obviously a, the cruise terminal here we're getting a lot of that probably business ourselves now and, and tourists coming in mm-hmm. off the off the cruises so so yeah no I've never felt that you, you mentioned that but I don't think that's ever been a feeling I think it's always been about basically EU money's done a lot for this city. The local press were fully behind staying in. And I think people in Liverpool just got it. It just wasn't good to leave the, the EU. It's just like, it's just not. No sensible person or politician, when they're actually going through it all, can ever make an argument for, for leave. I just, I've never heard one. I don't even know what, can anyone tell me one benefit? Can you tell me what? <laughs> that's not for that's not for me. <laughs> I, just, I, I just don't get it. Bizarre. I guess parliamentary democracy, deciding what you want to do here in your own in your own country, not having EU law above you, I guess is the is the principal argument for for sovereignty. Mm. Yeah, that's gone well with Boris Johnson, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Last question, then conspiracy, because there was there was this, that Simon's great piece on again this this the two sides of Liverpool, that sort of sense of punching. Punching out at people ab- above you that are, that you feel are uh, the establishment and all of that, and and this sense that online conspiracy theories against COVID or against world government and all of this kind of stuff is that. Do you sense that that's taking root in Liverpool at all? Because um, I think it was it was Ricky Lambert was he running some yeah, something yeah, in Liverpool yeah. the other day? Yeah, one of your maybe he's one of your secret Tories. Uh. Yeah, no, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not even. I, I, I don't believe in all conspiracy theories in terms of COVID and stuff like that, I'm being totally honest. Uh, I mean, there was something that obviously Ricky Lambert went to something in the town, but I don't think there was that many people in. I think when there's actually been people 
coming here to really protest in big numbers about things. I can't remember what it was. It was a far-right movement coming to Liverpool to protest against something. And there was a lot of people there from Liverpool stopping it. What I'm saying is I think we are seen as, if someone's thinking they're coming to our city to sort of campaign on something, I can't remember exactly what it was. But it was certainly wasn't something that we believed in the city and they were met with a lot of people at basically Lime Street and it was stopped and it was, they were pushed back. <laughs> uh, but I don't think there's a big thing in Liverpool about conspiracy things. I think there's a there's a, there's a a big thing in Liverpool that I, I would call it more distrust hmm. about, you know, a government or people in the higher echelons, if you like, hmm. really. And I think more often than it's proved right, hmm. if I'm being totally honest, you look at what was going on in, in COVID, you know, in terms of what was going on in number 10 and the way yeah. they were all carrying on, you know, MPs' expenses going back probably, I don't know, what was that, 10, 10, 15 years ago. These are all the people that you supposedly told that these are our leaders, these are the ones we're supposed to look up to, these are shaping the country. And then maybe people in Liverpool are getting, you know, getting criticised for they've got no jobs or they're on benefits and all like that or, you know, different things, mm. or they're, they're trying to sort of, uh, you know, fudge the system in some way, and you've got the people at the very top doing exactly the same. <laughs> now, yeah. that's, there's also, I think there's always been that, dis- I think there's something built into us in this city that you never take things too much at face value in terms of people in the in the, uh, in the the prime position, as you like. And, and to be honest, you've been proven right. Mm, yeah, and perhaps that's a warning, final one for uh, Keir Starmer, not to take the city for granted. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Jamie, thanks so much for talking. I really appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that perspective from outside the Westminster bubble. Sometimes the less you follow politics in its minute detail, the more clear-eyed you can be. If you did enjoy that, please like, follow and subscribe. We've got episodes every week. This episode, as ever, was produced by Ewan Daughtry. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.